0: Welcome to the Forward Healing Project. This is a weekly podcast where we acknowledge the challenges and grief experienced with infertility and miscarriage. Through honest and real talk, we will share stories, explore emotions, and seek healing by reclaiming, redefining, and renewing what it means to heal a hopeful heart. Welcome to the Forward Healing Project. I'm your host, Whitney Allen. Today I have with me three guests, my husband, Kevin Allen, and two gentlemen that I've come to know through Cathedral of Christ the King, Micah Johnson and Damon Sexton. I met Micah through the Light of the World Retreat, and Micah and his wife, Allison, run a marriage prep course at the Cathedral, and they've always been very supportive of my efforts with healing hopeful hearts and trying to educate people on the realities of miscarriage and infertility. Micah has invited me on a few occasions to speak to engaged couples, And on one of those occasions, Damon and his wife, Samantha, were also present and presenting. And I got to know Damon and Samantha, who've supported H3 as well, and even joined me in the past as we were helping couples within their grief. Aside from being all-around awesome guys, I came to learn that these men have their own experiences with miscarriage. So when I decided to do the Male Perspective episode, I immediately thought of asking Micah and Damon to join Kevin and I as we look at the men's side of things. So welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for joining me and us, Kev's here with me. Um, so I just wanted to dive a little bit into some background from each of you before we get into our first question. Um, just, Damon, if you and then Micah, if you guys wanna share a little bit just how long you, each of you been married, how many children you have, um, I know each of you have experienced miscarriages, um, in your marriages and just where that fell within, I know you both have children and just kind of where that fell in the order of your children. Um, and I, I actually don't know, but if either of you have ever, um, you know, had to walk with infer- infertility at all either.
1: Um, well, I've been married, uh, this May, I'll be married to Samantha for 25 years. So we're, we're, uh, we've had a pretty good little journey together. We have four children now, all boys and uh, our miscarriage actually landed in the middle. We already had uh, two children. Um, So it was 12 years in 2008. So we were 12 years into our marriage, had two children. And what's really so ironic about us doing this now is the age of our two older, our two younger ones now is almost the same exact age that we had when we had our miscarriage for the two older boys if that makes sense so we have this gap so it, it it kind of for us the two the two little ones are the same exact age the two older ones was when we so we're dead in the middle of when we had our miscarriage so this is uh, very personal to me and i want to appreciate i uh, really you know appreciate whitney and and uh, micah and Kevin for uh, us doing this so that's a little bit about us
2: yeah, so wife um, and I have been married almost ten years. It'll be ten years in May this year. Um, we have two kids, um, one seven and one five. So, our we had our oldest, um, and you kind of talked about infertility. We had no issues with infertility right at the start. I mean, we we started trying, and then you know it was, it was shortly thereafter. Um, we actually practiced natural family planning as well. So Allison's always been really. Knows what's going on with her body in that way. So, our first miscarriage was between the two. So, it was, um, Ella was born April 2013, October 2014 was our first miscarriage. Um, then we had our uh, youngest, Wyatt, who's five now. And the second miscarriage will be coming up almost a year. So, it was March 2020 of last year. Um, and those are the two that we know about. Uh, there could have been you know, another one in there. but. Those
0: are definitely the two that we know about. Yeah, thank you guys. And and you know, for Cav and I, we were um, we were about five years in, four years in, I think, to our uh, journey. And you know, we had experienced four years of infertility up until that point. And uh, and then when we had our miscarriage it was which I, I think we'll probably get into a little bit later on, but it was the same day that uh, we found out we were pregnant that morning, and then I miscarried that night. Um, and then we, you know, went on to about 10 years of total for our, our infertility journey before we accepted, um, you know, ultimately living a childless life. But that's, uh, that's kind of where we are. And so all three have slightly similar, slightly different um, stories here. And, you know, one of the things that with, with this podcast, and, and even with Healing Hopeful Hearts that I, Really felt passionate about from the beginning, mainly because of Cabin. Um, and our experience was that men, the me, the male side of things, are, is so often not. We don't hear about it. We don't talk about it. It's, you know, it's hard enough to get women to talk about this. Um, you know, and then trying to get men into a space where they feel supported. Um, and you know, I just wanted to to kind of open up with you know do you think that the stereotype of women being more emotional than men, men being less emotional than women is why people don't consider the perspective um, of, for men on infertility and miscarriage? You know, is it a, is it just that stereotype or is there something else there in your opinion, as far as, you know, we don't talk about the male's perspective in this space? Um, I don't know, Damon, what do you think?
1: Um, well, there's definitely a hierarchy of grieving. I think uh, for those who have maybe given birth stillborn, they look at the grieving process different than someone who maybe carried into certain trimesters. And then certainly when you get down uh, in your old's case, uh, the same day. And so then by the time you get down to the the men. You know the, there's this assumption that because you didn't carry because you didn't physically feel anything because i mean what do you know about that part of it um yeah i, I think that that goes a lot into into the stare i don't know necessarily the stereotype itself but i think there is some discredit that goes on because there's not a, a natural uh, by god's design and god's plan that you know we haven't felt life within us so how could we possibly understand what it's like to, to lose a child, you know? And so I think men are marginalized in the pregnancy process itself to begin with. Um, and so I, I don't know so much about the stereotype as I do that by the time you get down to the in the hierarchies of grieving, that there's really not a whole lot of sympathy or empathy for the men because how could we possibly understand? We, we didn't. yeah,
3: Yeah well and if you want to kind of deflect a little bit it's
1: very easy
3: to not kind of get emotionally bound by it because the attention is not on you it's it's on it's on the woman and it's, and it's very easy to, to push that off and not be the center of attention and and then it is a little bit of deflection of emotion yeah,
2: yeah and i would say too especially um, you know the way that i grew up i didn't my father never really dealt with strong emotional situations the you know the way he dealt with things was just ignore it or push it down and you know seeing that that's kind of what I did as well it's like you know I'll just I'll worry about it some other time or you know my wife is going through this right now I'll we'll just try to deal with her and then maybe at some point you know I'll try to deal with my emotions as well and that's what's really happened to me the first time was just a complete you know pushing away of everything that I was feeling. You know, I had a good, we had a good crowd together at the beginning, but you know, she, at that point, you know, we were still had a kind of a one-year-old in the household and it was all hands on deck just to try to deal with that. And um, then, you know, her, the miscarriage as well, because you know, it was a little bit further along. So, you know, she was having to go to the doctors, like, you know, or what are we going to have to do here? Is you know, is there going to be surgery and all this kind of stuff? Um, we were trying to deal with so especially that first one it was just just trying to be a rock of you know trying not to fall apart yourself so that you know she can rely on you for that moment so i think that's
1: what it was for me micah that that's something um that's something that i could definitely uh and i'm glad you said that because it it actually speaks to one of my talking points that i kind of had out in the margins in case this were to come up and i'm glad it did Uh, By having children at home that were 12 and 10, um, I homeschooled. We homeschooled our kids at that time. And so there was still business to carry on at home. There was still children to tend to. And so you kind of catch yourself in a moment to say, wait a minute, I know that there's a hurt and there's a loss, but there's also business to take it. Like in your own case, a one-year-old, someone has to be able to take care of those things so that your wife, mom, can kind of repair what's going on with her emotionally. And so while you're into the busyness and the craziness of just keeping house and keeping kids and keeping everything together, time passes. And before you know it, you know, you're expected to have been over it.
0: So what do you guys think, um, you know, that process kind of looks like you, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you, you're kind of forced to grieve at a later date. Um, you know, you, you're, you're supporting your wife, you're taking care of the kids at home, you know, for Kevin and I, we didn't have children at home, you know, and I was just a kind of completely unraveled. um, And he didn't, there wasn't really any space for him to do anything other than take care of me. Um, You know, what does that grieving process look like for you guys as far as you know it when does that space become safe and and if you do you know experience this time period where so much time has gone by you know i mean i think it's always important to to grieve and sometimes you know we're in a situation where you for kind of not necessarily forget to grieve but things other things come into that space and then it sort of smacks you in the face at some some unexpected time but um, you know, I know, I know each, each of you on different levels. Um, but what, you know, what does that grieving process look for you look like for you? Um, I'm going to, you know, what about you, Micah, or do you want to go first? Kath?
3: Yeah, I was just, well, I'm going to touch on something that, uh, was said, like, I think, I think we're going to hear a, a repeated topic of being the rock and that's absolutely the role that we all ended up playing, but, the grieving process for me we we had an expanded timeline as far as what we were going through and you know and you even said it a couple times there was there was it was there was never really a stable day you never knew what was going to come out at night and you might have a good day you might have a bad day and you know she was relying on me to be there and so my grieving process were all they were all being thrown in this bank and they ended up not coming out as grieving but coming out as other emotions and i kind of had a realization one time where you know i was pulling out of mcdonald's or somewhere and somebody nearly hit me and and it was a it wasn't a road rage moment but i had to check myself because i was going there no person and so um but it was that realization was like, this is not my normal self. What is going on here? And I kind of had to do a five minute evaluation of this isn't me. Where is this coming from? Backtrack to what we've been going through the last five, ten years. Oh, oh. and then that kind of opened up the door of like me starting to make my own journey as far as I'm in this, too. It's not just her.
2: Yeah, so the grieving process, especially the first time around for me, was just like a complete denial of, of everything. It's, you know, I was not prepared at all for this scenario. I mean, growing up, I, I didn't hear anything about miscarriage. Like It's just, you know, you don't until you until you have miscarried. I don't think you hear about people. Well, just to speak to that, Micah,
3: through ours, I found out my mom had one that was never talked about. Never.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We had two, uh, her sister or her, her sister-in-law and brother, like she, it was the same exact thing. She didn't even know that, you know, they had a miscarriage as well. So it was, I was completely ill-prepared about what to do, who to talk to, or, you know, it's like, like you said, Kevin, you had no idea what the day was going to be like, um, especially for her, just because there are still already so many emotions going together with having a second one. For me, the second miscarriage was the first time that I think I really grieved. So, and you're talking about it almost six years after the first one. Um, the second one hit me hard. Like it was, um, you know, we already had two kids. We kind of thought, you know, hey, we're open to chi- another child, but you know, we're starting to get to forty, and it's like, hey, you know, we're we're okay. We're, we're we'll be perfectly happy with two and be done. Um, and then there was so much like excitement on my side, for the third one. And, you know, I have two boys, and I've always been, like, I kind of wanted a girl. You know, it's just kind of the, the way of things. I was like, oh, I was like, maybe this is a chance for a girl, and I was I was so excited, and it was just, it was devastation when she first, and it was kind of a drawn-out period of, you know, oh, I'm noticing some stuff here, and then, you know, it's it's okay, it's slowed down, and then a week later, it's like, no, this is, is definitely, um, definitely a miscarriage. And, you know, even that was like, I can remember just driving to work and just being like, just bawling and sobbing as I'm driving to work. And, you know, that's the first time that I really kind of thought about the the first one as well and thinking, wow, now there's, especially with our faith, you know, with our faith background of Catholic, you know, it's like, I can remember thinking, you know, I have two children in heaven that are now playing together. And it was, I was just, I almost had to pull off the side of the road because I was just like, just like going crazy with with emotions. And I know we have a question later that we'll kind of deal with, um, you know, what kind of happened with our faith during that time. Um, But that was kind of a faith check moment for me as well.
1: Uh, What's what am I going to do here? Um, You know, what's crazy uh, in this conversation is you two guys uh, have actually, if I could piece, if I could take a, a, a sewing kit and sew up your two answers it it really echoes and mirrors uh, my experience we we had zero problems with infertility at first we had two children 17 months apart and then we we have this gap and the crazy thing was samantha had went to catholic charities there was they were hosting an event i think at ctk and it was uh, about faith adoptions. And so she comes home and she's excited. We have this uh, you know, to a 10, 11, 12-year-old. We have the, already have these boys. And what would you think about us adopting a little girl? And so we go through all of these, you know, room preps and all this. And then it was this craziness of why don't we just try to have our own? You know, it was almost like this epiphany because growing up, we were always led to believe if you were going to miscarry, it was going to be on your first time. And so, because we had two boys, it never ever occurred to us that this was even something that was a possibility. Because we were able to have two live, two carries, two live births, we never really considered it to even be an issue. And so, then here we are, and at a later age in our life, we decide to to uh, have a child, and you know now we we do have four. We have four boys, but the loss in between, I, I didn't, my motion in all of this was, to, I kind of felt, um, I kind of felt guilt for me. I was guilty because I had really started to encourage had I said, no, we, we shouldn't adopt. We have plenty, uh, you know, that I entertained this conversation. And then as it goes on and on and on, that guilt then turned to anger. It, it really did turn to anger. Um, because now I I even look back and I feel guilty about even thinking it, but there's not a moment that goes by that I don't think was that our daughter. I think that's the hardest hit. Was that our shot at a girl? And, um, you know, it's just a tough one. So you guys hit it on the head for me. There was not only anger and guilt and confusion. Um, but I really didn't know how to feel really.
0: yeah, and you know, just listening to that, Damon, you need to kind of wrap that up for everybody. and And I think from a woman's perspective, like I had zero idea that Cav felt anything other than concern for me. Like, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's naive or selfish, but i I literally had no idea that he he was grieving the loss. He was grieving not just the miscarriage, but also, you know, we were barreling down a life without children. Um, And it like in my kind of swirl of anger and sadness, I was completely blinded that he felt any of those things. And I think that's a pretty common um, experience for women, especially when they're grieving. Um, you know, maybe it's because we carry, maybe it's because our bodies are the ones that are physically going through that, that we become kind of really just blinded to what you guys are going through.
3: Um, I think especially with a guy like me, I'm not a, I'm not one to wear emotions on my sleeve. I internalize. so
0: unusual for men.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I internalize everything. And I try to, I have an outer core that may not represent my inner core. Yeah. So of course you didn't.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, I think that's, that's why this conversation is so important is so that, you know, we bring that to light that, you know, men are feeling these things too. And, um, you know, they're, they're feeling that anger and, and that guilt or that resentment or that confusion um, you know, what what would you say to other men as far as you know you you've each had to walk this walk and you know the paths have been different but um you know you've each had to to journey this with with your wives and with yourselves with your you know with your own relationship with god but you know what would you say to other men that are initially experiencing this as far as you know that that grief process and maybe how you you know, how you, how you interlay that with, within your own marriage. Um, well, I, I'll speak to then. the
3: infertility side of things is yeah. where it's, it's, it's where our roughest spot was, mm-hmm. is that um, I think it is important to be that rock. And like I said, I think we're going to touch on this time and time again, as we continue to talk about this, but I think also as a son and a brother to two sisters i learned very early that when emotions are a little bit high and we're going through some things it's not my role to fix anything it's my it's my role to listen and you know that is really important when we were going through some of our toughest nights and we were having some of our most emotionally peaked nights as far as it being bad I didn't try to fix anything. I, w- I listened. And I think that's what really helped the most.
1: Oh my God. Like fix is a word that I had. It's a buzzword for me on this question. Um, to fix something implies that there was a problem to begin with. Right. And, and there's not really a problem. So there's nothing really to fix. So the first thing I would advise any other man going through this is of course, is your wife doesn't need you or your, your, your uh, girlfriend or your partner, you know, whatever the situation is, they don't need you to fix anything. There's, there's not a fix. So that's super important. So I'm glad you actually said that. Um, the next thing is is don't avoid having that conversation. And I think the minute that you start shutting down, it's not a taboo. It's not as taboo as it is made. I mean, I'm probably the oldest of the three here. Um, I, And so being from a different culture, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. And these were things that uh, for me, uh, Micah touched on it and it was beautifully said. (laughs) We always got the impression that, you know, men were tough and rugged and those were things that they didn't verbalize, nor did they show. I probably couldn't mention probably five, six times in my life. My dad actually gave me a hug, you know, and so we... We look at those things, and we don't realize that we're passing down those things to even our own children. And so, to avoid those as taboo conversations, I think is um, is not a good idea. I, I think it's okay to have the conversation, and don't try to fix it.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd echo exactly what you said. Is you know, I did a lot of listening um, during that. I'm kind of like Kevin as well, you know. If you just want me to listen, listen and not share my emotions, I, I'm okay with that. That's good. Um, the biggest thing I wish I would have done around the first time was have a conversation about what I was experiencing. And I think if looking back on it now, why I didn't was because, you know, I didn't know what to say. And I didn't want to say something that was going to make her think that I was upset with her. Because I think Allison already had an expectation, you know, or something like, "What did I do wrong
3: during this?" Well, Micah,
2: uh, something that happened.
3: I'll ask you this because it's something that I kind of noted. As far as, did you go through it differently the second time than you did the first time? Because looking back, I don't even know during the first time what I was prepared to even go forward with as far as the gravity of it. Like, I don't think it was, I didn't take it lightly, but I didn't know what it was going to present in the future as far as, um, you know, emotions and, 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 and just the lingering effects of it. So did you deal with the first one or the second one better than you did the first one? Yeah,
2: well, I dealt with it better. Uh, openly, I should of, say. I'm sorry,
3: openly, I should say. Like, as from the male perspective.
2: Yeah, especially about talking to her. Yes, definitely. You know, the first one was really not much for me, just listening to what was going on with her. Um, and, you know, that was, we were probably, we were three years into marriage when the first one happened as well. So, you know, as I was still rather uh, sheltered with my emotional Um, experience at that time and for me my faith journey as well when we had our first miscarriage I was not in a place where I was just really becoming and getting back into the church and really getting into a good relationship with God as a father versus just as God as a judge is what I really thought for the majority of my life Um, and the second one we were able to talk about and really, bring in our faith of what what happened with this second with this second miscarriage is that you know God already loves us. He knows, like even though we experienced this this situation, God was already a father with a father to us, and so we were both able to deal with. It It was still very very sad, like I said, for both of us, but we were able to deal with it, especially with a you know, place where we were faith wise in a much stronger place. And it really almost brought us together a little bit closer than we were because at this point I, I was able to share more of my emotions of what was going on during that time, rather than the first one where you know I really didn't say much at all, other than, you know, I'm sorry. And things like that, you know, just like you said, just listening. So, have, um
0: this is for you, but also Micah and Damon, I want, I want you to weigh in as well. Um, when we, we dealt with, you know, our miscarriage and then 10 years of infertility before we decided to accept living childless, um, and I remember when I started healing hopeful hearts in H3, I remember the, the night that, um, I, I don't, I, I had already had it pretty planned out, but it was getting ready to launch. I think we were maybe like a week away from from it launching, and we were sitting outside and talking about it. And i I literally saw you breathe, like you let go of a breath, and it was it was just kind of overwhelming for me because I knew in that moment, like you let go of a breath that you'd been holding for ten years, and it it was it was one of the major contributors of why I wanted. The male perspective to always be a part of this conversation because um, it was in that moment that I realized that you didn't you never grieved and if you did you certainly weren't able to grieve at the level that I was um, I don't know I just I just tell me tell me about that moment and then I'm going to ask Micah and Damon to also you know share with me if, if you also kind of had that defining moment of like let go you you know you you released whatever you were carrying
3: I don't remember the timeline of when you went to a group. Um, it was
0: pretty early on. It was, was
3: it early on? Yeah. yeah. And, and, but it certainly wasn't for you. No. And I don't think it was for you because I think the leader ended up getting pregnant. It was like part. every time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it was never like the format that was anything beneficial for you because it was more of a, you know, I hate to call it a support group or a, it, it was, it, it was. Yeah. And so, but going through this. And it was kind of what I touched on earlier as far as um, it was it was emotional support and then it was my emotional support. But my emotional support was more important that you were OK more than I was OK with it. And I knew that there wasn't a group out there for you And knowing you as I do in that you're a true leader and that it wasn't going to happen until you did it for yourself. And until it clicked this didn't exist in anywhere and but i knew it took your vision to make something that wouldn't only help yourself because in helping yourself you're helping others and that's what you needed to come to and when that clicked i knew that's what it needed to be
0: but what about like i mean so so you saw that I was in a safe place at that point
3: and then I knew where you needed to be. It was where you needed to be. You needed to, you needed not only help yourself, but lead others and help others.
0: But what about you in that moment?
3: Like where, so you, well,
0: the, I mean, I literally saw you release, like you, you sighed, well, you back
3: to fixing. I want fixing anything. I'm okay. I'm, I'm better now that you are in a better place. Um, I don't know if I've had a I've had moments of grief about the miscarriage but my overall emotional being is that you're in a better place Hmm. because you were the most
1: devastated by our journey Hmm. no I can I can kind of echo some of that as well Um, uh, as Samantha goes so do I go Right, and um, so for us to walk uh, this journey hand in hand, um, I always look at it as part of me that you know, according to God's plan and God's design, we um, we are attached in um, in body and soul, and um, so as she goes, I go, and um, I feel as though. Uh, when she has an emotion i'm now maybe a little more better equipped to uh be a better listener uh because there has been some time that has lapsed Um, uh, and groups like this it's helped me out a lot too um but if she's okay i'm okay if she's not okay i'm not okay right um and that's more from uh, me wanting to be the protector and the fixer again so again you you already beat me to the answer uh so what do you think micah
2: Yeah, when we were talking about this release, I I don't know if I'm still there yet, because we're still, you know, we're still not even a year out from the second one, and though I've dealt with it better, I don't know that I'm still at that point of, you know, release, because I can remember, it was probably, I mean, it was probably two years ago, maybe, that... Our second child, or the, the, the first miscarriage actually miscarried on one of Allison's best friends growing up birthday. And if, I mean, like I said, this is two years ago, you know, I see her kind of sad. She's like, yeah, it's Lynn's birthday. And I'm just like, okay, well, that's, that's good. Did you, did you not talk to her or what's, what's going on? And she was like, no, that's the same day that the miscarriage was. And. I, that didn't even dawn on me. That you know, I knew it was sometime around then, but I didn't know the exact day that it was. And even that hit me that you know, this is going to be something that we think about for our whole lives, and especially her as well, since it's such a date for her. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I've had that release yet because it's still it's still that ongoing grieving process because it hits you in weird times. Mm. It, well, it definitely hits you in weird times. And
1: if it's okay for me to say it in this way, uh, Micah, because it did happen on something that was a happy day for someone else, um, here you are. You 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 kind of feel like you can't even mention it because it, if it's a really good friend or, or relative or if it's a, a celebratory day for other people that are close to you, Um, you're almost, I can't say shamed in not saying it, but you know, it eventually turns into, man, why why do you always have to bring this up when it's such a happy day for everybody else? Why do you have to be the wet blanket in this conversation? And so that, that probably has caused the both of you to stifle some emotion and not be able to talk about it, uh, on that day in particular, because it's, it's attached to a day that is uh, a celebration or a happy day for somebody else. And I don't know if that's the case, but yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And especially
2: for me, too. Just knowing the day, you know, we, we had talked about Whitney, you asked about this earlier. Especially with the guy's perspective, is or you know what people were going through it as the man as the male. You know, I, I'm terrible with dates. Like Allison knows everybody's every nieces and nephews birthday, and I couldn't tell you what month they were in. But you know, she will. She can remember those days, and she knows when they happen. And for me, I've, I've made it a point to, especially about two years ago when I realized that it was on the day that. All right, I need to know that this is the day, and then there could be emotions that come along with this at this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the one of the things, and not not just with miscarriage, but also just infertility in general. Like, there are certain things that that still get us, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I know the day that we miscarried, you probably don't, <laughs> it was in February. That's probably you all be, you know. It was February. <laughs> um, you know, and it does, and it's, it's kind of that constant, um, it doesn't ever go away. Um, so I, I think from that kind of release standpoint of like, it's not a, everything's going to be okay. Um, I think it's more of, we're, we're going to make it through this, um, you know, because everything's not necessarily going to be okay. Because you don't, you know, I've, I've said on a few occasions, like this, this wound doesn't heal. It, it doesn't, it can, it gets, you know, kind of hardened from time to time. Um, but it doesn't ever actually heal. Um, but, you know, just kind of going back a little bit to the, the grieving process. Um, I think it looks very different for men and women, although if we stripped it down, it probably isn't um it just looks very different on the outside but um you know I think with women we're very at least for me I won't speak for anybody else but for me it was a it was so raw I was like I mean I was out of my mind with grief for for so many years and I was there was a lot of anger and guilt and and I felt guilty and and sad that I couldn't give you a family um but it was also you know. I mean, in that moment, like, or, or throughout, th- throughout those years, um, like, was there anybody you could talk to? I mean, you couldn't talk to me, unfortunately, because I was suffering my own, my own <laughs> grief, but I mean.
3: No, and I, I, my guy friends are guy friends. And I mean that in the literal sense that we'd talk sports and beer and football and stuff. Um, <laughs> But it wasn't until I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I, I I think it was later when once we accepted it and it was, it was our nomenclature in the house that it was not necessarily that we've ever said to each other we're going to live a childless life. Mm-hmm. But once we kind of got over a hump, that I was able to say the words, and I think saying the words to my guy friends as far as what our situation was was. As therapeutic as it could possibly be, just saying it out loud.
0: I mean, how about you guys? I mean, Mike, are you able, or have you been able to talk to other people outside of Allison?
2: So, not with the first one. Um, I was much in the same situation as Kevin, especially the first time around. Of my guy friends or girlfriends, like we just we never talked about strong emotional stuff. the The second one was would have been after I had gone through. Exodus 90, which is a program for a Catholic men's program where we, you know, we, it's guys we spent three months together walking a journey of really deepening, like really a, a male friendship that goes beyond sports, whether whatever else is typical guy, you know, you know, talk where you're really talking about what your failings are, what your successes are, what your beliefs are and everything. And the second time around, I was really able to lean into some of those guys who have become some of my closest friends in in all the world. And the second time too, there was such an outpouring of love from that community that you know they were bringing us meals and you know sending us little notes saying we're praying for you. And you know when you have those kind of relationships, you you can you can talk to them about these things and. It's much easier, and I think that's why the second time around, at least, it was a little bit more therapeutic. Because at least, you know, even if they didn't know what to say, they just knowing that they were there, and you know, you could talk to them about anything else, and you could still hear that you know the love was there for them, and they cared for you during that time. So I, I think that's um, having that real, real strong group of men is something that you know we're lacking. Right now,
1: where you know it's more than a conversation about sports and those types of things. So, so for me, um, I was all uh, we lived in a uh, traditional, non traditional household anyway, and I was a stay home, I was stay home dad. Samantha was a primary uh earner, she and so we had settled into those roles, but at, at that time, um, I was already uh, the weird dad who most people thought was either widowed or you know, uh, you would go to the play dates and uh, mom and me's, and here I am with, the, with these two. Here I am, this big, burly-looking guy. And um, so I was always the guy, really, through that time period that wasn't masculine enough to sit at the uh, men's, do carpentry and electrician. I wasn't this rugged guy. I, I felt more at home setting, doing what we would consider the traditional women's roles type things. And so by staying home and homeschooling, I was already isolated from a certain group of men anyway. So this, uh, maybe I can speak to, to some of the stay home dads. Um, it's a lot more common now than it was then. And at that time, you know, and, and being from Eastern Kentucky, nobody really understood. The perception was you're a lazy guy that just won't work. And, you know, but what I didn't realize was how much work went into it. And the Lord, I mean, it was a lot of work. So I didn't really have anyone else to talk to. I didn't have any, I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't have that around me. I didn't have a group of guys, guys, or anybody that I worked with. Um, I wasn't in the Catholic church at that time. I was a Baptist minister. Um, I was a Baptist minister for 10 years. And um, so I was always in the role of giving the support, not receiving support. You know, how do you have that conversation when you are, the spiritual leader of a congregation, who do you go to? And so for me, I had zero. And the one person that I should have been talking to was a person that I was walking, that she was in a ditch in a, in a really hard place from the loss of a child. Uh, but I didn't recognize I was having the same loss because I was being this protector and, and, and the fixer and all these things. So it, it all comes back to, to the same spot. Well, also so here I was, yeah.
3: If I can kind of touch on something that we've all three said is that in the first time, if, if there has been multiple, but in the first time, we don't understand the gravity of it, and right. it's not—it's not even a male thing. It's just, it, 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 maybe it's not, maybe it's naivety because we're not experiencing it, and we're you know they're going through it and they're going through the horrible things that it is. We don't understand the long lasting gravity of the situation, whereas, you know, it might be a bad day, but never in my mind did I think that it would have impacts five, ten years later. It was just a situation where something that we were going through. And I think we've all touched on that basically in that the gravity of the moment was
1: never our reality when it was happening. And I, that's I tip my hat to Micah because I I would look to him probably now. Um, I already had a lot of respect for Micah. I met uh, him and Allison in marriage ministry like way before I even came into the Catholic Church. I was the tag-along guy uh, with Samantha, and and so you know now having these interactions, uh, man, my hat's off to you, Micah. I mean I'm sure there's things and you've said uh, the second time around you don't want it to happen two times, but certainly the second time around um you're to be brave enough to um to get in touch with those emotions and and be i don't know that you're ever ready i, I don't know that the second time's easier than the first time but you almost have to do I, it once to do it right the second time correct correct and um it, it's so my hat's off to you I, i've gained a, a whole different level for you to yeah i really have sure. and um
2: I think that's one thing that's great about Whitney coming into our marriage prep program is that, you know, nobody talks about this. And, if, you know, it's so hard to talk about this, but you have to. And, you know, at some point you have to talk to your kids. I don't know when we'll do it, but, you know, you want other people to be prepared to go through this and to be able to walk with their spouse you're you're never going to be able to you know talk about the emotional level of it or even the physical of what the female may be going through but you have to at least think about it and at least consider it and that's what's great about when Whitney comes in and talks to these engaged couples is at least it gives them an idea of, or at least a thought of oh you know this could happen and you know we were
1: in the same situation where it's like the first one was no problem it's like who knows and you just think everything else will be okay. Yeah, if I could say a blessing, um, and really there are silver linings in, in certain things. We now, Smith and I now, uh, we have a 23-year-old son and a 21-year-old son. And so to going in knowing, I mean, they were at 8 and 10 uh, right in and about when it happened to mm-hmm. us. And so for them to recognize and know that this is something, even though they didn't understand it in the moment, but now it allows us to be able to be a support system to them when we didn't have that support system. If this were to come up, um, and it allows, it gives us. I don't know that you're ever ready. You're you're not ready for those things. And um, but it it has given us the opportunity to be open and honest and freely have these conversations. That it's not so taboo. You don't have to fix. Um, you don't have to be strong. You don't have to be silent. You don't have to be all these things. And so if there's a blessing that has come out of it, uh, the, you know, our hope is, is that in a very near future that we will get to experience being grandparents and time, you know, 23 years old, there's a good chance within the next five years we will have God blesses us to live that long. And, you know, and he, he, he looks favorably to us. We will get to experience grandchildren, but, now we know that this is, this is something that they may face as well. And, um, so I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. That's the one thing I can say I am thankful for that, um, having boys that we can tell them it's okay to be soft. It's okay to cry. It's okay to hold. It's okay to touch. It, it's okay to hold your hand. It's okay not to do the things that, um, society has told us and my culture has told me so.
0: Thanks, guys. And, and just, you know, kind <clears> of <throat> two, two things that I want to uh, make sure that we cover before we, before we uh, wrap up. One is just, y- you've all kind of mentioned this, but um, just maybe kind of putting a little bit more structure around how, how this has impacted your marriage. Um, I can, I mean, I can speak, I you know, obviously I'll like speak, but um, I, you know, I know one of the, the good things that have come out of our journey is that I think our marriage is way stronger and way closer than it ever would have been had we not had these challenges. You know, maybe, maybe we were going to be faced with different challenges, but, um, I think our marriage has grown from it. Um, and just curious if you guys kind of experienced that as well. Um, we'll just, we'll start there. Just kind of, you know, the impact that it's had on your marriage, whether it was a, a challenge or, you know, where, where growth maybe came from there. Um, oh, do you want
3: to, I mean, you kind of just said it, I, I think, but I think saying that, and it has wholeheartedly bonded us in a very deep way, but I also see how it couldn't, how mm-hmm. it could make or break. Yeah. It could make or break. And it has never really hindered our relationship but again i see how it could and that's heartbreaking to tell you the truth to see how it could separate somebody because in the same time it's bonded us Mm -hmm. in a way that you know we're both like i said and i've even said it before we're not we're not ones to necessarily lay out our emotions or talk about things but this has also been a way that has allowed us to bond yeah and and uniquely a way for that to happen so um, yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, I would, I would definitely second that, you know,
2: there is the, if, if you're going to be willing to share your emotions about it between the two spouses it's definitely going to bring you, should bring you closer together for us to, or well, as just say, for me, the when you're pregnant after a miscarriage it's it's very it's a very it was a very taxing experience because it should be joyous and you do experience some joy but at the back of your mind there's always this this little catch of don't get too excited because you've had a miscarriage before and this i think this is what really hit on the second miscarriage was especially cuz we were we were older as well i mean I was in my forties. Allison, I think it was 30, well, she would've been thirty-nine. So, you know, it was a later on, and it was like, even at the beginning, though, you know, we both kind of told ourselves, you know, we're not going to get too excited. Try not to get too excited. And then next day, you're like, all right, what room are we going to put? What are, what are we going to do? do? What are we going to do with the furniture? You know, who's quitting their job to stay at home with with all these kids that are going to be here now? And that was hard. Um, especially for me to try to, it's probably going to be funny. Allison's going to hear this podcast and she's probably going to be like, I didn't even know that was kind of your expectation or, you know, how you felt about it. But I think we both have that, had that little experience there where, you know, you do get pregnant and you're like, Oh my gosh, what, what's going to happen? Like when is the date that we're going to be able to feel like we're safe and we're okay. And this is not going to, You know, not going to happen. And I think especially the third one, or the second, sorry, the second miscarriage. I think I was at that point where like, all right, we're we're safe, we're out of the woods, we're fine. And I think that's why it hit me even harder than the the first one um, as well. I don't know if I really answered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, no, you definitely I gave away an my upcoming podcast. <laughs>
1: no, but Mike, I, I think, I think the things that you were saying, I, I have in the back of my mind, definitely when you, um, when you have two children already and you take for granted the fact that, um, that there's not really a problem. And you mentioned being out of the woods and then you have a miscarriage and then you're holding your breath. Should we even try again? Should we be satisfied? And then, um when you do conceive as a couple every single cramp every single pain every single is a whole breath oh my god are we going to have to go through this again can we and whitney there is actually if i can um this is not maybe in in the bullet point flow but it's definitely something i think is is worth mentioning with our with our fourth child um (laughs) with our fourth child we um we went to the we went to the doctor, we had a confirmed pregnancy and um, the ultrasound and there was no fetal pole. And so there's this lump in our throat because now here we are again, you know, had a miscarriage, we had a child, then we have number four, and it is the most sickening, gut-wrenching feeling that you could possibly imagine because uh, you, you just you're confused. You don't know what's going on. Your wife, you know, mama knows her body, everything, all signs. And so we we leave there uh, an absolute train wreck. There is um, a check on uh, HCG levels. Where are we at? So now we have to come back in a couple of three days to see if those are going down. You know, it is such an emotional roller coaster. And on our way out, she's in tears. I'm holding her and the doctor who was not really her doctor, uh, he's just part of the group, he stops, uh, he prays, and um, he said, let's just, um, let's see what's gonna happen here in a couple of days. And it was the first time that medical staff had really given us a hope, because when we lost our child with number three, it was the coldest, most callous mm-hmm. thing you could possibly imagine. You're going through this, you go to the doctor, and you're like, well, there's nothing we can do. Uh, go home and this. And, and you know you you kind of feel like it's more of a throwaway type thing, and so it was the first time that someone of a medical staff had shown any sort of mercy or faith or any kind of encouraging anything at all. Uh, we leave the the office that day. Uh, there was really no indication that she was still pregnant. There there was nothing medically that would have given us any hope, and so we go home and we have to wait a couple of days more probably the longest 48 hours of our life, easily the, the longest 48 hours. We go back, there's a heartbeat, there is a double. And all of a sudden it's like, you know what? They're not always right. And so here we are, we're picking up steam, but we're still holding our breath because Micah said, it's like, you know, you <laughs> you can't enjoy them. You, you just can't enjoy it the same way. So us as a, as a couple, how it changed our marriage and it changed our relationship was, Uh, We learned to trust each other just a tad bit more. But more importantly, it brought our focus more on uh, as parents. Not so much. Our our marriage was strong, and it's still strong, and and it gets stronger every day, every year that we're blessed to be together. But I think our focus has been redirected now in how we approach our kids. The two older kids can tell you we were probably – a lot tougher, and we weren't as good of parents as we are to the two little ones because they think they get away with everything. <laughs> and um, I think it's because you look at it more as a gift than you do a divine right. And so, for me, I'm, I'm a pushover parent now. I was I was pretty hardcore with the first two, and um, <laughs> so the two the baby, the eight year old, uh, he pretty much does uh, very little punishment here. He runs the house. <laughs> I can say that. So.
0: All right. Thanks, Damon. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the one of the things in, in all of this not not just your relationship within your marriage, and you know, it impacts all relationships your your friendships, your family, um, and it can strengthen and weaken them at different times. And just you know, this podcast is uh, you know I've always said it has a Catholic lens. Um, interpret that as you may, and. Um, you know, but definitely a prayerful one, for sure. Uh, You know, and and just curious, you know, I've um, met Micah and and Damon through the cathedral. Um, Just would love to have your guys' perspective on how this process, what you've gone through with your own grief, with walking with your wives, um, your children. Um, How that you know, maybe impacted your relationship with God or, or, or maybe in influenced your prayer life and did it change it? Or do you see a difference now, you know, where there struggles or, or maybe gains there? Oh, the silence. Go ahead, Damon. No, no.
1: Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny you said silence, then you looked at me because I could, uh, this is, this was one that's uh, super personal for me because, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was a Baptist minister and I pastored a church in Hazard and lived here. So my, my drive to church and back every, every weekend was 250 miles round trip. That came out of my pocket. And so for me to, for us to go through this loss, I can be honest, this, this is one that's painful and it's very personal. And I hope it's okay to say I was really mad at God. I was really upset because, you know, I, I was, uh, and I geared that anger towards him because I'm like, here, I've been your servant in all these 10 years and 12 years and 15 years, whatever and I drive back and forth and I pastor these churches and I give my time and effort in prayer. And my family, my, uh, Samantha and the boys were Catholic. And so here I was having to split all my time between the church that I'm serving and and the cathedral. And, and I was super, super, super upset. I was bitter. And so um, once some of that kind of subsided, uh, when Kingsley was born in 2012, I started on a whole different faith journey in that I recommitted. I I don't even know that recommit is the word, but uh, my time and focus and attention went to I've spent the first half of my life and my faith life um, away from my immediate family outside of Catholicism. And so for me, I wanted to spend the remainder of my life and faith, walking with my wife and four children who were in the church. I was the outsider. I was the one that was not getting to experience all these things that the other five were getting to experience, and so my my journey began then to really have to come to terms with leaving the Baptist Church. Did that mean I was um, admitting that I was wrong, or you know that I was throwing down everything that I had believed all my life in order to um, join uh, the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith? Uh, ultimately, God led me through a very, very, very heavy heart, he led me on into um, Catholicism. And I completed my RCIA. I came into full fellowship in 2018 at the, at the cathedral. And, and uh, that completed my faith journey. And um, uh, this thing really came full circle for me. I mean, it, um, it, it was tough, not only the loss, but to go through the, the spiritual battle that I went through with, I was angry with God and then I I found my way and myself and to repurpose my life so that the six of us could live within the same faith under the same, the tent poles of faith that we had set that I now get to set under that canopy, um, for the rest of our our lives. So it, it changed me in that way, probably that impact on the spiritual end, uh, had the biggest impact for me. So.
0: Wow, that's thank you for sharing that. That's a you know it just reminds me so much of how you know we were talking about this the other night. You know that bad things happen, and we you have to grieve, and there's evil in the world, but God always finds good, and He brings good through it. But um, but I don't, I don't and,
1: know. And, you, you and know. I just if if it's okay to say this too, um, God truly knew the intention of my heart, and that all the spew of hatred and and anger. That he knew that I truly believe he knew that it was a, a, you know, a a displaced aggression, that it was an emotion coming out in a different way of the hurt and the confusion and that he's got big shoulders, you know, that. uh, And I'm thankful that God didn't hold that against me for me being so upset and angry with him and that he brought me back to a place of forgiveness that I could then go later and pray to get that forgiveness from him and that he could welcome welcome me back in as Micah talked earlier that uh, from the father aspect and i can appreciate that because that's what true dads do they um you know they uh they don't really hold that that grudge i mean you know yeah it, it, i just you guys have been great with this I, I it's just been a great thing so i'm gonna go ahead and mute and- <laughs> that's a chance i i get so excited talking about <laughs> the church and god and, and the brotherly Love that goes on, and uh, the friends that I have made and the support I have found uh, within it. So, uh,
0: yeah, thanks, Damon. I mean, that's part of what this podcast—you know, the name of it being the Forward Healing Project—that uh, you know that that's we're we're looking for that that place of healing, and and it's uh, you know more often than not connected to our our prayer life. But Micah, you mentioned uh, Exodus ninety and the difference between the um you know the the first miscarriage and the second miscarriage and i mean what what are your thoughts as far as the um you know where where your relationship um you know not not to get too personal but you know where where maybe your faith was um challenged or or supported you during that time
2: yeah so especially during the first miscarriage i was really um, I grew up a cradle Catholic, but there wasn't a strong, really, relationship. I was just like any, well, not any, but you know, a, a cradle Catholic in the sense I went to church, and that's that's just what I did, and that was about it. Um, there wasn't a real any any prayer that I did during growing up was just, uh, "Hey God, I need help on this test." "Hey, Hey God, can you help me out here?" During the first one, I was I was starting to come back, really deepening in my faith, but I just, during that time, I just asked God for prayers for Allison of healing. Um, And it didn't really, my my faith didn't really challenge much. The second one, it did. Um, The second one, I was so mad. I was so upset that this happened again. And it made me so mad at God. Um, I'm part of an intercessory prayer group at the cathedral as well. And, you know, there's a couple of people that think that I have the charism of healing there, um, which means praying over people and being able to help with um, physical symptoms. And to spend so much time during that second time in prayer for Allison, for healing, and for everything to go okay, and then it, to turn out to still miscarry, like, thats I think that's what made me so mad and so upset at the time that I couldn't do anything about it. And that's probably you know what God was trying to help me at that point as well, is like, no, you can't do anything about it. You have to trust in me and being able to go back and to completely trust God with everything that was going on at that time and to could still place him at the center of my life and let him run the show, rather than me trying to run the show and do everything. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to make it through this last part. I knew, I knew at some point during this, I uh, could break down. And we have hit that limit for myself. Um, so I could say, I think I could say a lot more, but it it has strengthened my fake life, but it also tested it. It tested it a lot. Because you, know, you think about this is especially when the second one happened, You know, this is when we were starting COVID and starting the lockdown. And there was so much on, you know, my plate at work and just at home and with the kids and everything. And I just didn't think I could take any more. And that's, I think that was one of the things that I specifically asked God for is like, God, I really, like, I don't know that I can deal with this at this time right now. And, you know, you hear it so often that, you know, God won't give you something that you can't handle. But I was like, no, no, my God, this is too much that, you know, you told Kevin not to, not, no cursing earlier, but I was just <laughs> like, no, this is, this is it. This is bolt. Like I'm, I yeah. forget it. Like, no, that's, that's it. I cannot trust you. And I can remember one of those times I was driving down the road. I'm just like, you know, listening to the Christian radio and I was like, turn this, turn this garbage off. Like I can't, no, this is not happening. And I don't believe all this. And you know, then the next day or a couple hours later you hear the same song, you're like, oh, okay, well, now this is actually a But there was there was definitely that that temptation of like I don't know that I can trust you.
1: Whitney God, Whitney, Micah, you you guys and, and Kevin, you guys probably have heard one of the things that I always hated was, well, it was God's plan. Right. Um, it was um, you know, you can always have another uh, it's better off because it's God's way of protecting you and all this. And you know, you get so disgusted hearing those kinds of things because yeah. you have spent your entire life worshiping and praying to and rejoicing with a God that was creator of all things. And you come to a point where you understand that whether we live, we die, he gives us our life, our breath, and our very brain, being, and that God is, um, God is still God regardless. He mm. he's um he's exalted in life and death. We realize that us as creatures and as vessels, just how weak that we are and how much strength that we can draw from from the fountain of him. But there's definitely those stages of grief that you have to work through. And part of that is the anger and the guilt and the blame. And and that's why I said what I said. He he is um uh he you, you know you do hear it, Micah, and I'm glad you said that. That he that he he wouldn't put more on us than we can bear, and you get to a point you're like, okay, well, let somebody else pack this load for a while because <laughs> I'm just about as tired as I can with all the disappointment and all the everything that's going on. And then the next day you you get a little stronger. You go and and um, he. <laughs> he becomes the center point of your life and you realize how, how weak of a vessel you are and just how much you do pull from him and each other. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's,
0: yeah, there's a, thank, thank you so much guys for sharing that. There's a, um, a quote, I think actually may have been the last podcast that we did, um, that I, that I love and it's, uh, God doesn't protect me from any, from anything, but he sustains me in everything. Um, which I just love. But I think, you know, that's kind of what we experience here, but um, gosh, we could go, I think we could go for probably another hour, you guys. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but oh,
2: that's the thing. What's three guys sitting around talking about infertility and miscarriage right I didn't know this is going to go so long.
0: <laughs> well, it certainly speaks to the, the space for men uh, that men need and that we need to hear um, from you guys. And I just, I want to thank you so much for, um, I know we didn't cover everything and there's so much more we could unpack, but thank you so much for this first step, um, for your courage and your vulnerability and your willingness to be honest. And thank you to your wives. Um, Hopefully they know that you're doing this. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I just appreciate that. I know Samantha and Allison both, and uh, thank you to, to both of them for, for sharing their stories, uh, through you guys. And, um, I know this isn't always a, it's not a comfortable topic for women. Um, and so it just, it took a lot of courage and just, I think this is going to help a lot of people and, and start that conversation. So I just, thank you. Thank you both, all three of you so much. Um, <laughs> you're sitting over there. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I just, you know, I hope, just for our listeners that this episode can bring some, some healing, some forward healing. That's what we're here for. Um, And I just thank, thank everyone for joining us and just close as I always do to ask that our lady of sorrows to pray for us as always. So thank you gentlemen. And uh, we will um, be back next week with a podcast. We're going to talk about feelings of shame and guilt Um, which so often comes up with this topic um, of infertility and miscarriage and, and unpack that a little bit. So thank you for listening.